Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Fanzine Podcast. Just before we get started with the show, this is your host, Tony Fletcher. I want to invite you to sign up for the weekly newsletter over at tonyfletcher.substack.com. It'll give you updates on this podcast, my other podcast, all forms of recommendations with a midweek update, a long-form weekend read. Sign up is absolutely free. There are interview archives, uh, additional podcast features, and you will be able to to see uh, more of the fanzines that uh, we're talking about on this show. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. Thanks again. Now on with the pod. It's the fanzine. Fanzine. Podcast. I mean, the thing about a fanzine was holding it in your hand, right? and looking at the way it had been put together and the punk way it had been put together, quite quite frankly. And it had a staple in it, you know, and and that was, that is a fanzine, right? Welcome listeners to the Fanzine Podcast with me, your host, Tony Fletcher. We're up to episode 22 and we are taking ourselves on a wonderful journey around the world of fanzines, zines, whatever you want to call them. And we will actually get into the subject of what to call them during this particular episode. I was originally hoping to just go with the intro that I did at the start of my call with today's guests, uh, Liz Mason and Billy McCall, because we had such a wonderful conversation. I have to promise you, I think there's more laughs on this episode than certainly most of them. And uh, what a joy to meet them both. I didn't know them uh, prior to kind of like digging in and wanting to cover this subject matter. However, I think probably a bit of an intro is uh, is in order here because uh, historically, about 50% of the listeners to this show come from the UK. And it was probably more than that when I did the first 10 shows, which were very much about um, the best of jamming book. And right up till episode 19, I think, 19 or 20, all my guests were from the UK and we were really, really focused on, you know, what I take to be the fanzine, which is, you know, a music fanzine. And in my own experience, this was a punk and post-punk thing. Uh, that's my life. That's what I grew up in. That's when I produced the fanzine. That's when my fanzine took off. And as such, it's really, really easy to just kind of conclude, well, that's what a fanzine is. Um, I do tend to think now, having kind of gone back a couple of episodes ago and asked, you know, what was the first fanzine and knowing that uh, this is a culture that dates back to the 1930s and allowing, you know, that the music press is in a difficult place and, and you know, rock music is in, in a difficult place and musicians are in a difficult place. Um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to kind of think that the, that the music fanzine um, valuable, valid. I mean, you know, that was my life. But it's also just a genre of zines, you know, the genre of fanzines. And Liz and Billy are um, sort of at the front line among the sort of most well-known, perhaps, the most popular, perhaps, of American zinesters who have this phenomenal output of uh, different zines covering their own lives and interests in their own lives and musical interests and food interests and personal interests. And that output, that devotion to kind of documenting their lives um, and putting out zines has extended to some of them being book length. And it's just like the, this scene, what I want to say, especially the British um, listeners, there are, there are copious examples of this in the UK as well. I'm particularly taken by... Um, the confessions of an ex-zine editor. We had Alison on 
um, this show. And, and that was a wonderful, wonderful episode. And so this culture does certainly exist in, in the UK as well. But, uh, and I've got other people that I'm considering having on who are, are in the UK doing these kind of Persines. But anyway, that's the notion that the Persine is thriving. It is thriving. The market, you know, for all that you might just uh, be picking up right now and hear that another big music publication, Pitchfork, is about to bite the dust or get folded into GQ, which seems, of course, ridiculous. I just want to say the world of zines is thriving. And by taking this kind of like sideways move uh, on this particular episode, I think we can highlight uh, highlight that to, to an enormous extent. It's also keeping me in the States for this episode. Listen, I've lived here for now well over half my life. I moved in my early 20s after jamming folded and I kind of ended up not going home. So it makes sense that I would have American guests on here. Uh, That doesn't mean I'm not going to get some more British guests on really, really soon. It also doesn't mean I'm not going to move back into that post-punk world, punk world that I'm familiar with. That was my backdrop, my sort of bread and butter. And with that, I'm going to jump into it. Um, I've got the very initial intro out of the way. And I'm actually just trying to figure out where my guests live and where they're calling in from. And I'm going to let them take it away from here and enjoy it. The Fanzine Podcast with Liz Mason and Billy McCall. It's um, unusual for me to start a Zoom quite this early, not unless I'm dealing with Europe. Uh, You are both on different time zones than me. I've had my breakfast. Have you both had your breakfast? Yes, uh, I'm an early early bird these days, so I'm already well-fed and ready to go. What about you, Liz? Yeah, I've had my coffee, so that's going to be my breakfast, and that that was a while ago. Yeah, that's what counts. As we get older, we get up earlier, right? Fact of life. Yeah, for me, for sure. <laughs> Absolute fact of life. Uh, tell me your time zones, where you live. Liz, where are you? I'm in Central Time, and I am in Chicago right now. It is 10 to 9 a.m. And for you, Billy? I'm in the Mountain Time Zone. I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I, I lived in Chicago for a long time, but I'm in Albuquerque now, so it's about 8 o'clock. All right. And you two do know each other by the looks of it. Yes, You're... very well for <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> yeah, very, very often. I mean, it, it's a combination. Sometimes I like getting people together who sort of know of each other and maybe met online. But I've had a few where people do know each other. And I like this. I like the idea of a three-way conversation. Now, having gotten our, those very basic intros out of the way, let's see if you can keep it to ooh, barely 30 seconds because we're going to dig in deeper straight afterwards. Um, rather than simply tell me the title of your publication, because you've all got more, both got more than one, I'm going to ask uh, a little bit about what you do. Uh, and Liz, again, you can go first just because you're, you're up there in, in the top left and you went first before. What is it you do, Liz? I publish zines that mostly consist of myself as opposed to multiple contributors, with the exception of one of the zines that I do with one of my friends. And they belong to the subgenre of zines commonly thought of as per zines, as in personal zines. Although one could make the argument that any zine is a per zine. One absolutely could. And I've, I've really ended up coming to that conclusion that every music zine of merit or sci-fi zine, I'm quite sure, uh, reflects the 
the, the writer, you know, we uh, call ourselves publishers, might be a bit too bold, but it reflects our personalities. What's your day job, Liz? I manage Quimby's Bookstore, where I've worked since 2001. We're an independently owned bookstore that specializes in small press, and we do sell zines. All right. So there we that's a start. We'll get into the names of your zines in a minute. Billy, what do you do? Uh, I do all kinds of stuff. I'm an artist. I'm a, a musician. I write zines. I write books. Uh, my day job, I work in a casino, uh, which I've been doing for about 10 years. Uh, before that, I've had all different types of jobs. But the the thing I do in my heart is I'm a writer. <laughs> and you get that across in, in your zines. Um, you were both kind enough to send me bumper packages in fact billy you sent me too because uh not content with doing zines and books you you've got to put together a board game called zine game and we have to allow time in this conversation to talk about what must surely if this is the only podcast covering zines this this has to be the only board game about zines uh uh, man, your output, both your outputs are, are are phenomenal. Thank you so much for the care packages. Uh, every time I get one of those, I, I sort of feel, well, this is somebody who cares enough that I'm sure they'll make make for being a great guest. I, I'm literally surrounded by them. Um, Liz, your own zine, I believe, is called Caboose. Uh, the one you were doing with a friend was called Cul-de-Sac. There's another called Awesome Things. Billy, I guess your main... Your main one would be Proof I Exist. Would would that be correct? Yeah, the uh, the first issue of Proof I Exist came out in, I think, 2002. So I've been doing that for over 20 years. So I do all different types of zines, um, educational zines and, and collaborative zines. But Proof I Exist is just whenever I feel like talking about me and what's going on in my life, I, I put out a new issue of that. So. All right. So, and then, and then yourself, Liz, I'm going to just big you up a bit further. I mean, you both put out books. You mentioned, Billy, that you put out books. You put out a very interesting book I want to talk about called Four Year Depression, How to Love Your Family, Even Though They Voted for You Know Who, um, which feels very deja vu right now. And Liz, you put out books on, well, you put out book-sized editions of Caboose on Corey Hart and Britney Spears, which is very interesting and something I want to get to as well. Um, I, I'd like you to, you know, the first thing I feel of depth we, we really have to tackle is what you just covered, Liz. Neither of you actually use the word fanzine. When, I talk, when I've been writing to you and even this far into the conversation, you just use the word zine. Is there a difference between a fanzine and a zine? Or if you think that that is merely semantics, can you define your own perception of a zine? And I ask that because I come from a culture of music fanzines. It's how I started out. It's what I did. It's what really the first 19 episodes of this podcast were about. And I feel like I'm moving into some new territory here. I'm of two minds about this. In one way, I do feel like it's just semantics and that zine is short for fanzine. But at the same time, I do feel that when I hear the word fanzine, I think of the submission-based zine that covers mostly music, has multiple contributors. I think of something like jamming. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising to me that you would have that question. I do feel like because I write about so many topics that 
sometimes takes it out of the world of fanzines if what you think of fanzines as being music-based. And yet at the same time, I love music and I write about music a lot. And in fact, the last issue of Caboose, one would argue, is a fanzine because it was about music. On the other hand, what I write about is often somewhat memoir-based, kind of media criticism, uses elements of humor that almost feels as if it's a humorous essay. But those are also all things that could be used in a fanzine. I feel that it's complicated. Okay. And I, I should also say, Billy told us he's been in Proof I Exist for 20 years. I get the feeling you've been doing your zines for a long time as well, Liz. Yeah, since the 90s. Yeah, so even even longer. Yeah, long, long history of it. Uh, Billy, and, I, and, and I'm inviting you both to make this a conversation, not just like me asking questions and you answering. So feel free to sort of riff off of each other. But uh, having heard that allowed asked or invited Liz to go first, what's your take on this? Um, I agree with what she said, um, but I think it's only like, I think it's only complicated if you want to dive into the semantics because you can call anything, anything you want. Um, you know, for me, like old, the original zines in the, you know, back in the way back in the day were sci-fi fanzines and they had to call them fanzines cause they were different than magazines. So you had magazines and you had fanzines and, to me, you know, growing up in the in the '90s and getting into zine culture in the '90s, um, the word zine was just already there. So, you, for me, even though fanzine was the first terminology, now we're at a point where fanzine is a subcategory of zines. So, you could have a per zine or a work zine or an educational zine, and for me, a fanzine is a type of zine. Um, Caboose is definitely a Persian because it's all Liz, and she's talking about what she thinks is funny, what she thinks is absurd, but then. To me, a sp certain specific issues like her Britney Spears issue, that's about Britney Spears. She's a fan of Britney Spears. So it's so that specific issue is a fanzine to me. Um, but like, you know, anything could be, you know, a lot of times fanzines are for music, but you could be a fan of anything. So if you have a wrestling zine in a way, that's a fanzine for wrestling. Um, Jessica Disobedience, a, a Chicago zinester, famously said, yeah, my Perzine is a fanzine. I'm a fan of myself. So <laughs> what, <laughs> whatever, you you're, whatever you're a fan of, you can make a zine about it. But There you go. I first um, became aware that, that there were different um, definitions uh, in terms of when I moved here and understood that fanzine had a kind of connotation going back to Hollywood as being um, like almost hero worshipping. And in the UK, the fan aspect kind of was much more about because I'm a fan, I have the right to criticize. So they, they kind of came from de very different places. Um, that British perception was just very much like, I'm a fan of music, therefore I get to run it, a music scene, say what I want, you know, call out people who've sold out, infuse about new things. And that in the States, it seemed like when people talked about fanzines, they almost felt like, oh, doesn't that go back to the Hollywood days? And um, a friend of mine, a, a writer, gave, actually it was a gift to my older son, a little book about how to put together a zine. And this is going back like 15 years or so. And when I saw that, I was like, ah, this is not really about music. This is about self-expression. And yeah. one, th yeah. And one thing that has really struck me—I'm going to get this uh, out 
out there now is the zines are going to be 100 years old um, at the end of this decade. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what, yeah, Liz is raising her eyebrows. Um, that's what we discussed two episodes ago. The first fanzine, uh, sci-fi zine came out in 1913. It was given the name fanzine a few years later. And so this is a long history. And it has occurred to me that this sort of what I might perceive as a heyday of fanzines, as would my friends, my generation, may only just be a genre of the zines, those music fanzines that dominated the marketplace in sort of music press culture for 20 to 25 years. That's only a quarter of a century. Do we have a take on that? Well, first of all, happy birthday zines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit, bit premature, but we're, you know, it's going to take a long time to get all the candles on the cake. <laughs> <laughs> to me, to me, it's just a category of zines. Um, but it, I, I think sci-fi like, and again, I'm coming from the United States perspective, but there, you know, people weren't seeing stuff written in magazines about their sci-fi movies and their weird stuff. So they started making their own. And then I think similar, you know, same things started to happen with music scenes where, um, you know, the, the big magazines aren't covering the, the bands that you want them to cover or they're not, you know, they're only telling the good parts of the band. You want to talk about the criticism of the band or whatever. So people started making their own thing. Um, but you know, once, once you got to a point where photocopiers are around and it's a lot easier to, to duplicate, you know, imagery and text and all that, then people are like, well, we don't just have to write about famous people. We can write about ourselves and our friends and we could just write poetry and, um, people write zines about all kinds of things now. So. Yeah. The, the, the culture is very, very, uh, different. The size of the, 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 output is very different. Um, I grew up where sort of a four, you know, a full sheet of paper was the standard size. A, uh, your zines are working on sort of basically half that size as a standard, like a five and often folding that in half as well for like mini zines. And I've, I've got one from each of you that is like, how many times can you fold a sheet of paper? And <laughs> the answer Sometimes it for some people, I feel like it's a challenge of like how tiny can yeah. we, we get it. But um, yeah. I, I think I think the the quarter like what we call quarter size, where you fold a sheet and then fold it again. That you know they you, they call those pocket size because they fit in your pocket, and that's kind of the the yeah that right there, awesome things. That's like the perfect size, really, because you can take it on the bus, take it you know around with you. Um, but the half size, I think, is good. The the bigger ones, honestly, um, when you're doing a full sheet of paper, it's a lot more difficult to mail. So that's a big part of it. It costs more to mail. Um, but I just, I, th I think it's better to have the, you know, it's more handheld when it, it's a little bit smaller. Well, and I was going to say also the thing with anything that's smaller than the 8.5 by 5.5, that's like when you take a sheet and fold it in half with the American eight and a half by 11 size. Yeah. Anything that's smaller like that quarter size, or even the ones that you would then fold one more time so that it is, I guess, folded in eighths. <laughs> You can fit, especially the quarter size, two issues on one piece of paper or two copies so that if you cut it in half, then you mm. it costs less to print and you get more copies. But my problem is that it's hard for me to not be verbose. It's hard for me to be a concise writer. So quarter size zines are a practice in not rattling off the entirety of my life story in an issue. <laughs> yeah. 
and then you have your and then you have your perfect bound books where you can rattle on as long as you want (laughs) which i do and it's hard for me to stop i don't it's hard for me to know when i'm done yeah i have a i have a similar problem and and actually having uh having an online presence doesn't make that any easier it's like okay there's there's no limit here i don't run out of paper i can just write and write and write and and i'm always very aware that uh that i'm probably being more verbose than i need to be but people do say uh it's evident that you love writing and i think that that is perfectly self-evident with the two of you and you've already said as much billy that that's what you love doing in fact billy you're uh you you among your many zines is a zine about zines correct correct called behind the zines yeah so uh and of course liz you're involved in distribution as well so we'll get to talking a bit more about that but behind the zines um I'm, I, I could. What is it usually? Because you just put out a special issue, and I think that might be the only one that you sent me, or you put out one that was very pertinent. But what would behind the zines normally cover? Uh, so originally, behind the zines was a column that I was writing for a different zine, and so I would just do like one interview with somebody, and it would come out maybe you know once every six months. Um, and I would interview, you know, someone that was a zinester or I interviewed the people at sticker guy one time, um, who makes stickers and a lot of, you know, musicians and, and zine people use them to make stickers. And I was just trying to find out like, you know, Oh, why do you do what you do? How do you do what you do? And I realized that like one interview wasn't enough. So I made it into its own standalone zine. Um, and it's just sort of, uh, for people that already are familiar with zine culture and already know what it is. Um, we're, it's a, it's a kind of a chance for us all to talk about what we do and talk about our craft. Um, and I just love when, uh, art gets layered and layered and layered, you know, cause someone can do a painting and then, a, you know, an art critic is going to talk about the painting and then someone's going to say how they don't like that art critic. And like, every time you go another layer, it gets, uh, to me more validated and more interesting. And so not only do zines exist, but I want a place for us to talk about the zines you know, whether that means talking about our inspiration or why we write it or how we do it. Um, but it's it's just any anything zine related. Talk about your zine. Talk about how you make it, where you sell it. How do you make a copy? If you're going to buy a, a printer, what's the best printer to buy? Stuff like that. That, that that's fantastic. So it's, it's kind of different from what I'm doing with the podcast, which is um, sort of trying to interview editors each time round or writers each time round you're doing a bit more on the practical side as well i was really taken by the issue you sent me which i think is the most recent it's subtitled it's got a theme this time round. it's called zines saved my life and i thought that that would be another good jumping off point for us the origin stories in there including your own billy are all very um, but they're very powerful and there's, there's always a question, God, the question I probably get asked most about jamming, like, how did you start? And it's a question people want to know because they're always like, well, how did you end up where you got? And what, what was your first step? So I think it's fair to ask each of you your own origin stories, what the inspiration was to start your first zine. Maybe you can tell me which, what it was. And did zines save your lives? Or was that really just, you know, is that related to the very, very, the couple of really dramatic stories in that particular publication, Billy? Um, So behind the scenes, that was the only issue that has had a theme. And I don't know if I'm going to do themes in the future. I may or I may not. Because in general, that zine, just anyone can talk about whatever they want. But I read a zine called uh, Ornery Cuss, and she was in... 
the author's name is Crystal, and she was talking about how zines saved her life and how she was really, you know, going through hard times and feeling suicidal. And then she started reading zines and it it helped her like, you know, move on and and find other things in the world. And so I thought, I don't know, it, like that story really moved me. And I wouldn't quite say for me that zines saved my life, but they definitely changed my life and changed it for the better in so many ways. And um, when I was a teenager doing zines, it was just kind of a fun hobby. And it, it was a hobby I think I I always assumed would go away eventually. And then it just, it hasn't. I just keep putting out more zines. Um, and so for me, I, I don't know about saved my life, but definitely changed my life. And um, everyone has their own relationship. And I had a lot of different people that after I put out that issue that would, you know, emailed me and told me the same thing has zines saved their life. But um, some people are like, oh, they didn't save my life. You know, like, they're just a fun thing. But it, it was fun to get a bunch of different takes on it. But whether it's zines or music or, you know, whatever you're interested in, I think as humans, you have to have a passion. You have to have something you're excited about. Like when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I'm thinking about is like, oh, I need to edit that zine. I need to write that story. I need to, you know, fold and staple. So for me, it's a big motivation in my life. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, zines def- definitely changed my life. I, I I do the job that I do because the reason I got the job at Quimby's was because I used to consign my zine there. And then at some point I was in the store and I was like, you aren't hiring, are you? And then I harassed them until they hired me, which I don't suggest anyone do. It was a different time. <laughs> now that now you're, that you would be the one being harassed, you suggest suggest that people not harass the workers uh, agreed agreed yes <laughs> yeah now that you're the manager you have been for a long time i don't know it sounds like harassing gets you where you need to be in life but uh, politely <laughs> politely harassing harassing from a a humble zine perspective right yeah from i guess like, that would yeah that would be assert assertive harassment i guess yeah a fond a fan harassment like i really <laughs> want to work here i really want to work here did I tell you I really want to work here? Okay. <laughs> but so how did, but what, what was your origin story for starting your, your first scene? Liz? My friend that I do cul-de-sac with, Julie, said, I have, can I swear on this? Uh, yeah, I can always yeah, okay. if All I right. want to. <laughs> All right. She said, I have a shitty boyfriend who's doing a shitty zine. Let's do one to one up him. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. They they didn't they they're not still together, are they? Oh no. <laughs> no. Right, did. And, okay. And you want you want to know something, Tony? Yeah. I don't even I don't even know the name of that shitty boyfriend. I've never heard of his zine. So obviously Julie and Liz know what's going on. Their zine <laughs> their zines are long lasting and, and that other shitty zine is long gone. You know, um, <laughs> I, I may just put the uh, tick the E for expletive box. I don't think shitty is particularly an offensive word. I use it in front of kids a lot. Um, oh. But I do I do think I'm I'm always like trying to keep a notebook full of great album titles and band names and shitty boyfriend is right up there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Somebody should grab that one. So you put together Caboose. Um, did both of you have that sort of same calling back in um, – Back in school, I mean, I mean, were you the kind of people that that were like, I know a fun project. I'm going to put together a, a, an unofficial school magazine and sell it to my school friends. Yes, hundred oh. percent. <laughs> yeah, long, 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 long before I knew what a, a zine was, when I was like five, six, seven years old, I was like 
You remember like David Letterman used to do like top 10 lists. I made like a booklet of like top 10 lists that I like wrote on a typewriter and then like got my parents to like make a photocopy. And then I like taped it onto construction paper and like made like little booklets. And that was, you know, a long time ago. And then, and then I was definitely making like little newsletters for my friends and stuff. I made a newsletter in fourth or fifth grade. Uh, uh, that my dad photocopied for me. I think it was probably three pieces of paper, one-sided, stapled upper left corner. Yeah. And I called it jam-packed, which is... <laughs> Not really It was jam-packed. True. Yeah. The three pages were... The three pages yeah. were jam-packed? <laughs> yeah. And it was like, you know, uh, outside my window, this is my view. Or whatever, which actually is a, a perfect description of a perzine, honestly. Hmm. <laughs> I I get the feeling that would have qualified as a perzine long before the term was being used. I like I, that. Yeah, and 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 actually jam packed. You know, I like the first three letters appeal to me. They would be they would be next to each other in the the fanzine anthologies. So. <laughs> so, so that would work as well. Um, I I did a similar thing, and it, it, it's another of these things that's occurred to me when you when you get older and you're able to like look back and you've got you've actually got a life story now. You feel like you start can start to sort of review your life. Um, I realized that that was me putting together like one issue of one thing I tried to sell up uh, what you would call elementary school, indicated that. I was going to be a writer. I wanted to write. Um, I wanted to self-publish if need be. I wanted to communicate. I probably also had that really annoying entrepreneurial spirit. And I think you do need some of that. <laughs> Did you both try and sell this uh, this homemade publication to your friends at such a young age? I'm pretty sure I charged 25 cents. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, 25 cents divided by three is, you know, seven some cents or 28 eight? some cents yeah yeah for per per page you know i got yeah. gotta make a living wage at age nine <laughs> i i definitely had the entrepreneurial spirit i some some of the things i was selling and some i was giving away for free um i i did this thing for a while uh when i was in sixth grade i was drawing monsters and i would draw different i had like 10 or 12 different monsters that I drew and they had stats of how big they were and how tough they were. And I told all my friends on the bus that there was going to be a, a battle between them and they could like, they could like basically gamble on like who they thought, which monster was going to win the tournament. And then I would write a story about all these monsters fighting. And then I would sell the the story that would say which monster won the battle. So I definitely was coming up with stuff all the time. <laughs> I think that, that uh, A, I think the entrepreneurial spirit is necessary if you're going to actually persist. But I also feel that, look, again, looking back, that some of those school friends actually appreciated that there was somebody else who would take the effort to do these things. And, you know, they were, they were, happy, they were happy to have somebody that would be like, oh, so-and-so's you know, put together a, a, a magazine, some kind of self-published thing. Like, it's cool that somebody's doing that. Were you, did you feel supported that early on? I I definitely did. The the first thing I made that I would actually consider a zine, which was still before I had ever read a zine. I grew up in in southern Iowa, so I grew up in a small town uh, where there was no bands, there's no clubs, there's no you know store to go buy magazines. Um, so it was just kind of like out in the country. Um, but I did a 
what I was calling a, a magazine back then, um, but it was also stapled in the upper left corner. But it had stories from my friends and I was getting contributions and a friend wrote poetry and one friend did like a step-by-step how to do a kick flip on a skateboard for one issue. Um, and I call, I called the zine nothing. So when people would like, Hey, what's that? Oh, it's nothing, man. Like I thought I was really cool. Um, but I gave it out for free, but yeah, like my friend, like it was just my little circle of, of nerds and geeks, but they are always really excited. Like, Oh, there's a new one. Like, let me see it. You know? And, and I definitely got supported by a small group of people and made fun of by a large group of people, which was fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's fine as well. Um, well, and I think that pretty much sums up the zine publishing experience. You feel supported by some and made fun of by others. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay because we, 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 we're all outsiders to some extent. I mean, you know, I don't know. You work in a casino, but that's not exactly. Well, it is a bank, isn't it? I guess it is a bank. Um, it is. You, a, it is a bank. I, I do know a lot of banking regulations that yeah, the average I, person doesn't know. I bet you do. I was going to say you sort of don't work. You know, you didn't go for the straight official job, but you can always tell somebody if you don't like to tell, tell them you work in a casino. I work in banking. So I mean, that would, <laughs> you know, that that, that would work. Yeah, definitely. And and then if I'm trying to sound really cool and someone asks what I do, I say, "Well, I'm a dealer, man." <laughs> yeah. So, I could I could go either way. So, going back the fact that you've been doing this uh, Liz since the 90s. Um, I have spent uh other than like inklings that this is going on, this um for one of we're just going to call it zine culture, but we we I guess we're we're talking more about the per zine the zine as, as, as just pure expression of self. Was it always thriving to the extent it evidently is now? Because this is one of those things where I feel like I've opened like a cookie jar, a biscuit tin for my British friends. Biscuit I, have not, I have not abandoned my home language completely. Um, I have opened up a biscuit tin full of a thriving zine culture. It's like I opened up the tin that had music written on it, and there's not much in there. But I opened up the tin that's got, you know, perzines written on it, and it's overflowing with an abundance of of sweet and sugary uh, concoctions. So has <laughs> it has it uh, was it thriving like this back when you started, or have you watched it grow, Liz? Especially given that you work at Quimby's and have helped probably helped it grow. Well, I should say I do live in a little bit of a zine bubble because. That is my everyday existence. So, which isn't helped by the fact that I live half a mile away from where I work. So I literally go to work surrounded by zines and then go home surrounded by zines. Uh, So to me, it's always felt like they've been there, but I will also admit that when I first started working at Quimby's, I would go through magazines like Zine Guide or Maximum Rock and Rollers, Urography Debt, and write to a lot of the people that publish zines so that we could get more of them to sell at Quimby's. So with the experience of getting more zines in, at least in Chicago, it feels to me like people would come into the store and get inspired and then make them. And it seems like the amount that we've had of zines and mini comics and chat books, things independently published periodicals that arguably would all fall under the heading of zines. It seems to me like that has expanded over time, but I can't tell the difference between have they always been there and 
I'm just able to get more of them because the internet makes it easier to contact people or because there were more coming in that has inspired more people to make them or am I just because I'm surrounded by it, I'm, it's hard for me to look outside my own purview into the rest of the world. I live in this tiny microcosm. I don't really know, but it seems to me like the internet has actually inspired more people to learn about what they are and to make more of them. And if I could, I know what this sounds like, it sounds a little self-centered, but it seems to me like because Chicago has a store like Quimby's and I see people come in and get inspired, it almost feels like maybe because we have a store like that in Chicago, it's expanded the amount of it, people doing that. I think it's all of those things and in, in different ways. And um, when I, when I moved to Chicago in the year 2000, I was 20 years old and I had just sort of started getting like, I've always been making things, but I was only beginning to get into zine culture and understand that there's other people around the world that were making these types of things. And you, you really get tricked when you're in Chicago because I just got there and I found Quimby's and I'm like, oh, wow, like every city has this amazing zine store. And I'm, you know, I was a country boy that moved to the city. And then when I moved to a bunch of different cities, like there's a few of these zine stores around, but there's not a Quimby's in every city. And Quimby's is really just like an amazing, wonderful, magical place. Um, and so I would guess that, Liz, you it's hard for you to have perspective because you're you have zines just raining down on you right. all the time. Yeah, like especially when people come in and they're like, oh, zines are back. I'm like, don't call it a comeback. Where have you been? Yeah. 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 Well, you're, but, you, you have your own distribution, don't you, uh, Billy? I mean, as well as doing behind the zines, you actually distribute some zines. Is that correct? I do. I do. And, and it's called a, you know, people call it a distro for distribution. So um, when I lived in Chicago, I did a zine distro where I only tried to sell Chicago-based zines to, you know, people that didn't live in Chicago. Um, and now I do a, a distro, which I just named after the zine. So I call it behind the zines distro. But back then, and the one that I do now, it's the same purpose, which is that, uh, you know, I want to get zines from my friends that I like, you know, and then try to like get those to people that would otherwise not be able to get them. And I had a kind of a cool story just this week where someone did a big order with me, um, bought a bunch of my stuff and but also bought, a, you know, this and that and this and that from from other people that I distro. And then someone contacted me and was like, hey, do you know this you know, so-and-so from North Carolina. I'm like, yeah, he just did an order with me. He bought one of your zines. And she was like, oh, he just bought like every single thing on my Etsy page, you know? And it was like the biggest order she'd ever done. And she was so excited. And like, the only reason he found out about her is because I have her zine in my distro. So that made me feel so good that I'm able to like, you know, get the, get the word out about this cool zine that I like. So... That's excellent. You actually raised two things I wanted to uh, address there. One, one, you kind of answered the question. I was wondering if you just sold to, if you are, if if you were meant to be sort of like a retailer, like you're you're a shop, like Queen Bee selling to the public. But evidently, you can also you're 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 there to sell to other shops um, by the by the exact sound of what you're doing. So it sounds like you might be able to do both. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I sell to anybody. So if I if I go to a zine fest or a craft fair, I'll put out a table and I'll I'll sell stuff, you know, in real life. But I also do a lot of online sales, and a lot of times it's an individual that you know is buying one of this and one of that. But every now and then, I've I've recently been working with a, a store called People's Book, uh, which is just outside of DC. Um, in Tacoma Park, uh, Maryland. And he buys like multiple, he buys like wholesale from me. He's like, can I get five of this and five of that and 10 of that? And for him, it's, it's easy, you know, same thing for, for other distros or other stores, rather than contact 10 different people and order their zines, he can just contact me and order 10 different zines, you know, and, and stock his store. So Great. As long as you can you know, make the prices work, that's, that's excellent. The other thing that you raised, you mentioned Etsy. And Liz, you had just said that you felt like the internet sort of has helped inspire uh, a lot of people. And I, I find this like truly fascinating because if my background is very much in, well, uh, Americans were called bricks and mortar um, you know, shops. Um, although it's also the title of a jam song, so my Brits will know what we're, we're talking about there. Uh, <laughs> Not an expression we tend to use a lot in that sense, but the, but you know, my experience is in like physical shops and people accosting you at gigs and the idea that a zine was, uh, well, there was no internet. You would think that the internet would have killed the zine and there's been a lot of discussion, uh, leaving aside the, the professional online music magazines. There's a lot of blogging that went on that's sort of halfway between zine and music magazine and maybe, maybe those people have a little bit of an identity crisis. But the point I want to get to is that now that I'm more immersed in this per zine, just general American zine culture, I realize that Etsy, and Etsy is not alone, there are hundreds of zines on there, and they're selling in the hundreds. I mean, if the if the, the figures are correct, some of these zines have sold four or five hundred copies. Excuse me, <clears throat> on Etsy alone. So there is clearly the internet has actually really evidently helped the dissemination, the distribution of this zine culture. Correct. Well, uh, jumping onto that, and also going back to what Liz was talking about earlier about. Uh, have zines always been around? Um, the the twenty five year look at it. I think when the internet became accessible, kind of to like the average person, where you could, you know, when you got to the, you know, I don't know what year, you know, ninety nine or two thousand, two thousand one, when you could, uh, an average person could make a website, you know, relatively easy. Um, I think zine culture definitely like dipped down as far as quantity being put out because a lot of people that were, you know, the the main thing about the main driving force behind zines is you want to express yourself. You want to get your thoughts and your emotions and your stories out into the world and connect with other people. And you can do that with the internet and you can do that with zines. And when the internet first came around, you're like, Oh my God, this is like way easier. I can just type it and hit, you know, upload. And now it's there. And I think it probably did take a little bit away from the, the quantity of physical zines being put out. And I think now we're at a point where it's kind of come back where there's uh, it's found a balance where some people would just prefer a blog and some people would prefer a physical zine. Um, I think what the Internet really does for zine culture is it makes it able it makes it easier for people to find your zine. So you still make a physical zine, but then you promote it online and people can can get to it easier. Right. And but the, I think they still want that physical aspect, you know, I think they do as well. And the point I was making is, is, is that people clearly want it. Obviously, the United States is a bigger country than, than, than the UK and 500 people might not be a lot, but a lot of zines are succeeding 
and managing to sell copies online. That's what I see happening. And it also seems to me, okay, this is the grossest word ever, but building of one's brand. Mm-hmm. So for people who are listening, I'm using the quotes with the fingers. Brand, yeah, she, you know? she is. She's got air quotes around the word brand. Yep. And so you can publish your zine and maybe like pimp it online or whatever, sell it online, get the word out about it. And those two things can feed in on each other. Or, you know, you could be a zine publisher and also have a sub stack, or you could be uh, a writer who does uh, blog posts. What's anybody read blogs anymore? Whatever. A intermittent letter, uh, cyber, cyber letter, like it's 1999, cyber letter, <laughs> uh, but also uh, occasionally refine that for print, right? So like I used to do a blog at some point, I took some of my favorite posts and refined them for print as if to say that online was like the rough draft version where you're workshopping something out and then you refine it for print. Arguably sometimes recently, it seems like it's the other way around for some publishers. They do it in print and then if they want it to live on in what they feel to be perpetuity as if the internet's gonna last forever, um, they will actually update it and add all the things that fixing the typos that they missed when they did it for print and put it online. Um, So it does feel like there's a world in which one artist, publisher, zinester could have creative output that is both print and online. And those two things can be a cycle that works together for them and hence building a brand. Again, gross word, but you guys know what I mean. (laughs) I totally know what you mean. Yeah, I do. We're going to play a little game here. Uh, Not the zine game quite yet going to leave time to talk about that but i'm going to because your your output has been so prolific and across so many titles what i'd like to invite you each to do is take turns and i'm i'm going to ask you to have offer three favorite scenes you've published or three that you would really recommend somebody's listening to this and you're, you're like yeah this is the one that you should hit me up and buy um and maybe if it's out of print but you're still like dead proud of it please mention that one feel free if they're all the same zine that you put out well i guess that's the one that you're most devoted to but feel free to you know pimp with the air quotes to pimp your uh you know your your personal favorite publications but i'm going to ask you to keep it to a, like literally no more than 30 seconds for each of the three and we'll take turns so that you can think of a second one and then a third one so um uh, toss of an air quote coin. I'm going to land on Billy. Uh, the first one that comes to my mind is uh, about six years ago, I did Proof I Exist number 28. And I typed the whole thing on a typewriter and it was a series of stories about drugs. Um, and it was a series of stories uh, that kind of alternated about me not doing drugs and how I haven't wanted to do drugs and my brother who struggles with addiction and had kind of disappeared. And when I wrote that zine, I didn't know where my brother was. Um, I didn't know if he was alive or dead or in jail. And it was a really emotional, super, super, super personal one. And uh, I'm really proud of it. And now that I said that, I have to go reprint it (laughs) because it's been out of print for a while. But I really love that issue. 
Yeah. And my brother and my brother now, by the way, is is doing a lot better and we're he's he's awesome, but at the time he was not awesome. <laughs> right. I just read the uh chapter where you introduce him in your memoir, I'm gonna call it four year depression. Um so I'm aware of what you're talking about and no, you didn't send me that zine because it's out of print. It sounds uh it sounds good. I'm uh, it sounds like it's it's well worth it. Liz, your first choice. I'm going to go with the most recent issue of Caboose. It's Caboose number 14, subtitled My Canadian Boyfriend. And it's, oh yeah, for, no one can see this, but uh, Tony is holding it up. Uh, <laughs> and it is the 14th issue of Caboose, but it's also a perfect bound book because, again, verbose. But it is a study of parasocial relationships as seen through the lens of my preteen obsession with Canadian pop star Corey Hart. Yes, you do know who he is. He's the guy that sang sunglasses at night. Uh, but it's also memoir. It's also scientific uh, perusal of neural nostalgia and how we process music and how we're affected by it at different ages. Uh, it incorporates elements of humor. Uh, I'm really proud of the writing that's in it. Of course, give me like a year from now and I'll look back on it and be like, ugh, the newer issue is better, you know, or whatever. But um, I, like, I'm really proud of the way that it came out. And uh, it also got uh, nominated for uh, uh, Best Zine in the Chicago Reader this year. So uh, congratulations. It comes, <clears throat> it comes with an incredible postcard as well. This is you in your bedroom wearing uh, sunglasses at night. <laughs> surrounded, I love that postcard. Surrounded, and I do mean surrounded. There's not an inch of your wall that doesn't have a Corey Hart poster. It's that's. <laughs> I don't know whether they're being pressed or or repelled, but uh, somewhere in between the two. You know, that is the common reaction I get to that postcard. And in fact, uh, I posted a picture of it, and Corey himself commented on it. Like, <laughs> wow, he was like, dear. Miss Liz, this is epic. The only thing missing is a picture of us together. Aww. <laughs> do you have that now? No, I do not, because then the pandemic happened. All right. Well, you're going to have to. I mean, Chicago's up in the north. It can't be that far to Canada. Does he live in Hollywood now? I don't know. Actually, he lives in the tropics. He doesn't even live in Canada. Wow. Right, he made money. He, now he doesn't. Yeah, okay, so he can wear his sunglasses for real. Okay, Billy, number two. Uh, I did a zine for a while called The Difference Between, uh, which is an educational zine that came about. Uh, I was in conversation and I was confusing the country Monaco with the country Morocco. And I was like, what do you mean? I thought Monaco was in Africa. And like I was really and then I realized I was being dumb. And I was like, oh, I should I should learn the difference between these two places. And then I did a whole zine of it and I put out several issues. And then I eventually combined them all into a, a little book. And of all the stuff I've sold, I've sold more of that than anything else because um, it it's not it started as a zine and now it's just a cute little thing that any shop anywhere will sell if they put it on their counter. So uh, I'm very proud of that. So is it all about Monaco and Morocco or did you 
bringing no. up? No. Uh, so like there would be two paragraphs about Monaco and two paragraphs about Morocco. And then you turn the page and the next set is baking soda and baking powder. And you turn the page and the next one is a chin up and a pull up and you turn the page. And, and actually, I forgot, Liz wrote a couple of them for me too for one of the issues. She, she wrote a few. But anything that any two things that are similar that you might confuse. So it's, you know, 140 pages of explaining the difference between similar things it's a it's a guidebook that that needed to be written it's uh, yes yeah, and, and it's all and it's also one that i have to reference myself like like which one was Corey Haim and which one is Corey feldman okay i have to like look up my own book to remember which is which sometimes you don't have um ab- abduction and adduction in there do you from the gym i don't but if i if i do a <laughs> new issue <laughs> yeah somebody somebody actually nailed that for me on on a podcast abduction is like you go out because you're being abducted. And adduction, you can think of bringing together because of adding. And that solved it for me. I was really confused with, <laughs> with those two. Anyway, that's my contribution to that part of Thank the you. discussion. <laughs> uh, Liz, number two. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to say mnemonic devices. That's how I remember everything. So that, that totally makes <laughs> sense. Also, the things that I wrote for the difference between were sort of jokey entries. Like, Ones where I could make a dumb gag, like the difference between Genesis and Genesis P. Orridge, or the difference between reality shows and just reality. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, and some of them, you you know, like, like there were some that you obviously, we, you know, and I did some also where you knew the difference, but it's just fun to talk about them. But some of them, I actually didn't know the difference. <laughs> uh, so Liz, do you have time to think of number two? And Billy yeah. can think of number three and we'll race through these. Okay, cool. So I would say uh, the second one that I would suggest as an introduction to my oeuvre would be Awesome Things number one. And for two reasons. One, of every issue of Awesome Things, that is the best selling one, even though I've done four issues. Um, And what it is, is it's basically like a list of things that I think are awesome. Uh, Sometimes I elaborate on the item and sometimes I don't. And they're things like Peter Pan collars, when the coffee kicks in, you know, things like that. Right. We're all dealing with the second of those right now because we've all been having coffee. during. Well, we've been drinking out of mugs during this conversation, which may explain why we're uh, sounding as energetic as we are this early in the morning. Billy, number three. Uh, Last month, I put out uh, Proof I Exist number 45. And it's a the whole issue is one long interview with my friend Drew, who is in a band called Orange Drink. And he participates in this uh, event where he writes and records a song, like one song a week for an entire year, which I thought was amazing. So uh, I'm really proud of that issue because it's just one long conversation about uh, art and music. I I loved it. Um, I have tried my best to open every single thing that you sent me. Um, But I I will say that one drew me in quite a bit. I was fascinated by Weekly Beats. I know there is something that people put together an LP from an album from scratch over the course of one month. Um, But the idea of putting together, you know, writing and recording a song from scratch 52 weeks of the year is impressive. And this guy, of course, talks about how uh, your, your friend Drew talks about how other people are even more impressive than him. It's 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 really interesting and and it works as a sort of music zine with just one topic. So that one yeah. I've seen. Um, and uh, Liz, did I like? Is this the Awesome Things number one? Is that number one? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I have this and can reference it. It is a what I would call a six size, a fold of a fold. There's a lot of awesome things in your life. Your um, website is Liz, LizMasonIsAwesome.com, right? Yes. 
Yeah. Yes. Um, any ego involved in that by chance? No, it, <laughs> I know that's. I'm, I've been waiting. She, she actually she asked. Let me just fill that. Let, let me get this one for you, Liz. She asked the whole Zine community, like you know, thousands of people, like, what should I call my website? And we all voted. It was unanimous. <laughs> oh. Like w- there was no argument at all. We love Liz. She is awesome. Hmm. If you don't know Liz, you should get to know Liz. Okay. That's very kind, Billy. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Your third. Your third scene you want to recommend? So I would say. Uh, cul-de-sac number nine. And that's because that's the zine that I do with my friend, Julie, that we've been doing for almost three decades and with intermittent pauses, uh, hence it only being nine issues. Uh, it is all about food and both our love of food and any sort of problematic relationships that we have. It also has the story of me having to deliver all the Girl Scout cookies and losing the sheet of everyone's addresses. So therefore just sitting down and eating all of the cookies. <laughs> How old were you at the time, Liz? Can we excuse you for age? Um, 37. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think I must've been like eight or nine. I think actually it might not even have been, I was probably a brownie, which is like a pre Girl Scout, but still selling Girl Scout cookies. Right, Probably. a brownie, a brownie selling cookies and eating the cookies, and and the brownies if they were there. I've got a copy of that one, so I can reference it more. Uh, we got a little bit of ground to cover, but um, in in not too much time left. You you touched on there, Billy. You said that um, the difference between was your best selling zine, our publication overall, and I did want to get a sense of numbers. It's always good to know numbers. Uh, what is what are we looking at there? What 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 what? How many are you running off the two of you of these? You know, long. Long-standing staples. Note what I did there of your life. Um, <laughs> uh, for the difference between book, um, I think I've probably sold around two thousand copies total. So by book publishing standards, that's not very many. But in the zine world, two thousand of something is a lot. So you know, I think I I think I printed seven hundred and fifty and sold them, and then did another thousand and sold them. So um, yeah, for for most of my zines, I I always. I start with a hundred or two hundred. Um, for behind the scenes, I start with four hundred um, at a time, and in in six months, you usually sell about four hundred. But um, most of my zines, I'm I'm selling around two hundred copies per issue. Does that make sense to you, Liz? Are you in similar territory, or you're going to lord it over Billy? Well, the <laughs> fact of the matter is, like, I reprint stuff, but like some of it, I give away. Some of it. I forget how many times I've reprinted it. Sometimes when I reprint it, I only do 100 instead of 200 because it's what I can afford at the time. Uh, You know, it's and also every issue is kind of different. And also some of them are drastically different prices for it to print. So, for example, the most recent issue of Caboose cost me a hearty sum, not just because it is a thick book, but also because printing has gotten so expensive and I don't have any copy scams left the way that I did back in the early 2000s when you could be like, you know, at the copy place and it's an honor system. Like, oh, did I say that I did 300? No, I meant three. <laughs> yeah, my bag is just bulging. I brought those with me. Like, bring, like bringing popcorn to the theater and then buying popcorn as well. And then getting right. caught, and then getting caught bringing your own popcorn. See, I did read your food <laughs> issue. Oh my god, I, I was about to say, oh my god, I did that. <laughs> yeah, and no, no, like, oh. you did that. I have, I have not done that, but, uh, but, there, but there we go. So, all right. So, I guess it, you know that the culture is 
thousands of machines. It probably is thousands selling in the hundreds for the most part. Um, Liz, you put out one of your many, many zines is, uh, God, I just had it here because it's got a title, which is the, <clears throat> here's a zine template, and it's a bit of a satire on zines. Um, you've gone further than that, Billy. I'm, I'm, I know this is pointless, me holding this up, uh, unless we were going to do this as a YouTube, uh, which, to be honest, we're having so much fun, we could. Zine game. You put together yeah. a damn board game. Yeah, are yeah, you, yeah. Are you crazy or what? I, I have no free time in my life, and I don't want any. I, I'm always making something. So, <laughs> so tell us about the zine game. As, as you can see, I've opened it. I have looked at the cards. I need somebody to play it with. Now is now is not the time. But tell us about the zine game. What it yeah, does, a, how you play it, and where people can get it, and for how much. It's a it's a card game uh, where. You, you deal out cards to people and then you're trying to build a zine. So you start with an idea card and then you can put content cards on top of it. Um, and I'm trying to have a zine, like every card you put down makes your zine worth more points. So one might be an intro, one might be banned photos. Um, but then your opponent is also trying to make a good zine. And so you're trying to ruin their zine. So you can put like negative uh, content into their zine. You can steal their zine, destroy their zine. Um, and you go through and you can play either two to two to four players and whoever gets the most points wins. <laughs> it's incredible. Do you, um, uh, you take turns, you go around and just play a card, take a card. And... Yeah. You, 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 you draw, you draw a card, play a card, discard a card, go to the next person. Right. And when I first started doing this, I came up with the idea and, uh, we drew some drawings. My partner, Alicia actually did all the drawings and then uh, I was just photocopying it onto cardstock and cutting it with a paper cutter and it took forever, but I sold probably a couple hundred of them and people liked it. And then I became friends with someone that was starting a board game company uh, and he was like, hey, like, I'd like to put out your I'd like to put out this at, like, as a real legit, you know, shrink wrapped, you know, game like mass produced game. And he helped me out and it was really great. And it's nice that I don't have to hand cut all these cards anymore <laughs> yeah that well you answered the main question i had there because i was like how on earth do you, it's one thing to publish a, a book something else to publish a board game so that's great yeah. so what, what uh, people can get it i mean i'll, I'll put in links and I'll, I'll have a dedicated Substack post for this um well, how much does it well, cost so how much does it cost it, people it's 16 dollars. it's nothing which i will see and that's and people say that and for coming from the zine world, I'm like, $16 is so much. But coming from the board game world, board games are $30, $40, $50. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a legit good game, and it's it's worth $16. So, yeah. It is. I and noticed I, in I your comment. Yeah. I saw it in its beta version back when Billy did them as those individual ones before. It was, like, boxed up in that nice box. And it was held together by a rubber band. And it was like right. it was always a conversation point up at the register at Quimby's. Right, and you sell and you, a... you sell the board game as well, like the official board game, Liz. Mm-hmm. We Great. did, yeah. Great. I mean, you sell the one that's out now, the actual game. Great. Uh, we... The actual real game. The real. <laughs> I, well, Billy, didn't you say you were like between printings of it or something? No, I got more in now. Oh, if okay. If you need some, yes, you I can do. get it from me or you can get it from Quimby's. I'll, I'll send some to Liz. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I, we just I, got it redone. I got a reference. Although some of the cards, uh, like the ideas cards, I was hoping they might they might actually give us more ideas, like, you know, write, write a zine <laughs> about the silly names you call your cat. Um, but in your silly, in your um, 
content cards. You have silly drawings, but you also have, and they're at the back here. I notice they're at the back of these cards. Um, sexy sex story, and you get plus 25 points for that, uh, or, yeah. or plus 30. And a funny sex story. Um, yeah. So they're, 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 they're clearly different. And I did see something here where that was like plus 100 and negative. Oh, caught stealing copies, negative 100. But, yeah, but that's when, when, when yeah. Liz is trying to say she only had three copies and then she gets caught, that's negative 100 points. Like, don't get caught. Right. But if you have a copy connection, you get plus 100. So yeah, it's that's, like if you're, that's like if you're flirting with the person behind the counter and they know you have 300 and they wink at you and only charge you for three. That's the copy connection. Right, right. So, so just be honest. You know, you get, get an honest copy connection. It's honest for you or pay for your copies, but don't steal. Don't steal. Right. Not cool, not cool to steal. Okay, we got that down. Um, some more ground to cover. I'm going to play a um, – well, you've both done these book size um, editions. I do want to touch on four-year depression. I'm, I'm planning on reading it you know, thoroughly. Um, it's very clear. It's, uh, it's the four years of uh, the president whose name some of us just did not say for that first year, <laughs> like yourself, Billy. Yeah. But then you had to deal with the fact that your mother, uh, who you clearly love so dearly in, in Iowa – um, you, 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 the penny drops, and when you go to see her, and you realize she voted for Trump, and yeah. uh, you, um, you, you voted third party candidate, and you were slight, uh, somewhat relieved that New Mexico still went for Hillary, but you realized it, it was less. Um, I, uh, you know, it's it's it, it's an interesting concept. Uh, you published it, I think, three like like you know, you published it not now. Um, yeah, I came out in 2019. I wrote it through 2018 and then published it in 2019. Right. So we were, like t- at the very end. We were still dealing with that sort of four year depression. Right. Um, right. I, I do have to ask, uh, Iowa just had its, uh, caucuses last week. Have you, yeah. uh, have you asked your mother? My, my, so, <laughs> uh, after, after putting out the book and after having lots of conversations with my mom and after you know, I told my mom like, Hey, I'm going to write some stories about you. I'm going to be putting out a book. And she was so supportive, like write anything you want. If it's about me or about whatever. And, uh, I not, not necessarily because of the book, but the book was part of the conversation that she and I had. And because of that, and also of just her own, you know, her own, (laughs) uh, free will, she turned against Trump by the end of his presidency and, uh, doesn't like him, doesn't want to vote for him. And when, uh, recently when they all voted for Trump in Iowa, she texted me the next day. I'm now I'm so depressed. I'm the one that's depressed. I can't believe Iowa's still voting for Trump. And I grew up in Iowa, I grew up in the Midwest and I used to really love Iowa and brag about it. And they're so Trump now. And it's like, it's one thing to be Democrat. It's one thing to be a Republican, but if you're a Trump supporter, I just, I don't know how to talk to you. Um, my mom is not a Trump supporter, but a lot of my extended family still is. And it's, uh, it's very awkward. <laughs> it's very, very awkward. I am divorced now, but my, um, my ex-wife was the youngest of eight, uh, children and she, and interestingly, her father were sort of Democrats and just felt the rest of the family, just these hardened Republicans. And we, we used to have fun when I was younger, just, you know, debating and arguing um, but it stopped being fun after a while, and I was actually kind of really relieved that I did not have to go through the Trump years with them. I don't, I really don't know how I would have handled that. It didn't ever seem as catastrophic in in previous years. So, uh, you know, I think there's 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 hope every time you hear of somebody who got buyer's remorse. 
back voting for Trump. <laughs> My but, mom had major buyer's remorse. Yeah, yeah. yeah there is hope. Well, I'm not going to ask us to predict because uh, that didn't work for us four years ago. It didn't even work on the day of the elections. Uh, but I did want to ask about that. It's properly written, but I also feel, I'm saying it's properly written and I'm, I'm, I'm like passing over that so quickly, but it, it leads me to what I think is a very fair sort of devil's advocate question. Um, when you both kind of come up with these longer book-length topics, um, is there any reason that you haven't approached a, a, quote, proper publisher and and thought, you know, maybe at my age I need to gravitate uh, from being a sort of, you know, self-published fanzine writer to seeing if I can get a book out that that carries somebody else's imprint? Did it yes, occur I, to you? I, Did you try? Yes. Okay, go for it. Well, yeah. no, I didn't try, but I have thought about this. I always get as far as going to look at what the guidelines are for submitting a proposal. And there's always something in it that will be like, this is not what I do. I would have to re, you know, obviously I'm willing to, you know, re-edit and things, but like I would have to reframe what I do so differently. It would be so far removed from the types of things that I write about or the way that I write or my content. And I, I've just never, I mean, I get exposed to a lot of publishers working where I do, but I've never stumbled on one that publishes exactly the type of thing that I do in the way that I write. Right. That makes sense. That's, that's a, that's an excellent answer. Billy. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to make a reference to, to music. I know you have a lot of music people that listen to this podcast. Uh, I lived in Chicago for a long time with a with uh, some roommates that were in a band, and they were trying really, really hard to get signed to a major label. And they were really, really good, and they were doing press packs and all this, and it was really, really hard. And it didn't matter how good they were; it was hard. And same thing in the in the publishing world; it's it is really hard to get signed by like you know a major, major publisher. And just like someone might decide, I don't want to be in a big band on a label. I just want to be a punk rock garage band. Zinesters, I think, are like, well, why am I, you know, you can spend your entire life trying to get that one book published by a major publisher, or you can just do it yourself, sell 200 copies, and then start a new project. And I think a lot of Zinesters are like, I just want to do my own thing and do it my own way, you know, and, and put it out and then put out the next one. And also what I have noticed about even people that are published by major publishers, they still, if they're not doing a lot of their own publicity to get the word out about their stuff, they're not any more successful than people who are just publishing it themselves. The only difference is someone else paid for the printing. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, you've got a point there. And I have, been fortunate enough to get published by some really good publishers, you know, down the line. And um, people always know you for your successes because you kind of everybody wants to keep their failures hidden. And very often, publishers and record labels make that easy because they reject a, an idea. And so, you know, I've been <laughs> I've been through the sense of failure as well. And I I will say my advice for young bands has always been: don't wait around for a label. Uh, put out your own record. Put out your own record um, because yeah. that's what they're looking for anyway. 
And so there is some, there's no reason that can't be uh, parallel. You know, if you really believe in a book and publishers don't, uh, maybe you just have to do it yourself. And so uh, we didn't really get to touch on your, your sort of whole punk rock ethos, uh, Billy. I'm, I'm aware that you played in multiple bands. I went to your band camp page, have not got started in yet because uh, there, there, there's so many different acts you played in. You did one issue of Proof I Exist, it was like a diary of a tour. Um, I, I don't know if you're entirely straight edge, but you're vegan, I believe. So you've got sort of like a whole bunch of sort of very punk. You know, you talk a lot in your zines about, you know, this is punk rock. And I, I guess I'm just getting that point across. And I, I also feel like you you had the, you you two had a subtle influence on me. I, I chose, I, I've done the occasional self-published thing. When I moved to New York, I did something that you would probably both have loved. I was so in love with that amazing city that I would take rolls of film going around the East Village and then like, you know, develop and pay for like 10 sets of prints or or maybe one set of prints and then write up an account and put one picture on each of them and sort of get them photocopied, a quick copy and send them to my friends back in the UK. And I did that a couple of times. People absolutely loved it. So that was clearly the zine still was still in me, but I'm among those people who in the year 2000, you hit on that date, I started my own website, taught myself code so that I could get to what would later be called blogging, but it wasn't at the time. And it was, it was clear that I still had this need to think that people wanted to hear what I had to say, which is what a lot of this is about. There's an ego here without any doubt that we, are, we, we have enough ego to assume or believe that people might care for what we say. And the fact that I'm doing that now on a Substack. I don't really have the hunger to go printing again and hitting people up to, to buy hard copies, but that hunger to communicate and write has never gone. And I noticed this past week, like literally yesterday, I published this midweek update that I do every week, and I made it more personal than usual. And I almost put in something that said, you know, when I started my, my website 20-plus years ago, I found that entering it, like being very personal, worked. It takes me back to my fanzine days. And, uh, and I just felt, no, just put out the content anyway. But I, I was, I, it struck me, maybe reading through your zines gave me the encouragement to be a little less about recommendation and a bit more about, here's a diary of my trip to Boston this past weekend. So, you know, I, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm happy it. to hear that. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I, I love. I love personal stories. Um, for me, it can almost never go too personal, but it's it's hard if you're the one putting that out there because – well, what if people don't care about my diary of my trip? And what if people think that this recommendation is stupid? And you're, you're making yourself vulnerable, the, the more opinions and the more stories that you share. But the vulnerability is what makes it good. I agree Agreed. with you. I agree with you. That's a fantastic place to, to leave it. It really is. Uh, a pleasure to have you both on. And in signing off, I want to say that it is my intent as of doing this interview that I will make my next midweek update dedicated to this uh, culture, to the phenomenal output, so I can put pictures in there, which you can't do on show notes. So by all means, look at the show notes. But uh, what I really like you to do is go off to tonyfletcher.substack.com and you should be able to find, there will be a link to this in the show notes, but you should be able to find a article all about this with pictures of the zines and maybe even a couple of screenshots of this fun chat we've had. Thank you both so much for taking part. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, thank you. Thank you.
you want to buy a copy of jamming 